Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And hello once again, everybody. Welcome to another exciting edition of THN on the Q brought to you by at Bet MGM. So, so Jamie, uh, we, we just talked about you potentially opening up uh, the show. And uh, I, I vote you do that next week because I clearly can't talk. Yeah. Okay, that's but, fair. But, uh, yeah, so uh, keep that in your notes for next week. But uh, before we get to next week, let's talk about this week. And before we talk about this week, let's talk about what surprise you have in store, Jamie. I, I think there's a little bit of show and tell. Yep. about to uh, pop up here. So we saw we saw Tyson Hines, we saw Joshua Waugh, we saw overtime on Scotiabank Center Ice. What does that remind us of? It reminds us of some fond memories of the World Juniors. Mm-hmm. So I come yes. home to my parents' place because, like any millennial, I still use my parents' place as my mailing address. Yes. Um, come home and there's a box in the mail. It's in the, mm-hmm. it's this blue little uh, box here. You can see. Fanatics, okay. so you know the quality. You know, the quality we better, really we better turn this into uh, into a YouTube segment, by the way, Connor. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to describe it as best I can. So I open her up here. And what do we have in here? This little glass puck uh, full of water. Nice. Now, this okay. is from now, Will. I want your I want your honest opinion. This is allegedly from the ice at Scotiabank Center from the gold medal game, the World Juniors. Do you think this is actually uh, the ice, or do you think it I've, looks I've been scammed? Real- First of all, that is a very cool thing. Um, looking at it as closely as I can, that is remarkably more clear than I would have expected it to be. Um, you know, okay, no, when you look at it from the side, though, put it back. Yeah. Let's let's get another side view here. This is great for anybody who's yeah, uh, listening up, yeah. listening on Spotify or something. By the yeah. way, but. Uh, Okay, it, it is a little bit murkier, so I yep. do have reason to believe that this is Halifax City Water. Um, <laughs> no, I don't think you necessarily get. Uh, uh, I don't think you get uh, conned on that one. I think I think we're good. So uh, first things first. Did did you order it? Was it a gift? Was it a gift? I did order that. I don't disclose how much it is because it's embarrassing. Uh, it was it was somewhat reasonable though. That's all I'll good say. Enough. Somewhat reasonable. Okay. I'll, uh, one of these days, I'll. I, I would love to do show and tell, but my uh, one of my, my my most prized possession for a sporting artifact uh, has nothing to do with the Q or nothing to do with hockey. It is a Waterford Crystal baseball um, commemorating the Red Sox 2004 World Series cool. victory, bought to, bought for me uh, by my wife, one of our first Christmases together. So there you go. Um, and you know, again, it probably will never make it to video anyway. So, what's the sense in uh, bringing it from from the rec room? So, anyway, but that is awesome, Jamie. And uh, and and you're right. You know, it was like the world uh, world juniors redo at uh, Scotiabank Center over the weekend. Tyson Hines, of course, with the overtime winner, playing the role of Dylan Gunther, if you will, uh, in game two as uh, the Phoenix head back to home ice. With a 2-0 series lead and the Halifax Mooseheads head to Sherbrooke with some uncertainties in their roster. Um, give, give me your rundown on uh, games one and two. 
Yeah, well, game one, uh, I, I, have to ask, I have to ask you a question, Will, because Jacob Melanson was on another level. Uh, but I don't think I've seen a player yes. <laughs> come in, roll into a city for a playoff series, and just immediately start giving it to the fans. Okay. <laughs> was there, Let's, was there, okay. Is there history there? No, no. Here's, here is what that is. So Jacob Melanson, Seattle Kraken draft pick. We've mentioned him on the show already in our uh, team preview. Um, 50 goal scorer in Sherbrooke as well, and had an out-of-this-world first period of this series yeah. with, with the hat trick uh, before 20 minutes had uh, expired. Um, he wasn't taunting the fans, although it was quite obvious the fans thought he was taunting yeah. them. Uh, Jacob's from Amherst, Nova Scotia, so mm-hmm. he's only about two hours up the road from Halifax, and that was uh, family in the stands, family and friends in the stands, that he was gesturing towards. Unfortunately, most people in the building would not have realized that. <laughs> and uh, uh, and as, as a result, um, I, I, I recall too, and I, I saw the, uh, the uh, replay of this on, on local TV as well. And I'll credit a friend of the show, Logan Delaney. He actually pointed out uh, immediately after uh, Melanson went to do it the first time that he's actually he's actually getting trying to get the well, get the attention but he's he's gesturing to friends and family in the crowd so the fans there i mean a few wearing sherbrook jerseys that was the whole thing behind that um and uh, but but there's a great replay of a guy uh, i think after he scored after he completed the hattie uh he goes over to the because he didn't do it on the second goal he did it mm-hmm. in the first and the third goal and on the third goal, he goes over, he does the same gesture at, at, at the glass, you know, looking, and you can tell he's looking up. Yep. He's not looking at fans in the lower bowl. Uh, if you know Scotiabank Center, he's clearly gesturing towards the, the balcony. Um, and there's a fan in the first row that's just hammering away at the glass, <laughs> just losing his mind over this, over Jacob Melanson, you know, thinking that Jacob Melanson's taunting the crowd and it, it's so great. It's the great, it's all, it, it's almost like a curb your enthusiasm moment. Oh, yeah. It's just perfect. Yeah. Um, that was awesome. So, so hopefully that guy is okay. And he didn't wind up like Courtney. Thank, thank God Jacob Melanson didn't have like a four goal game or something. Otherwise that guy would just, he could have like, like that, that guy, and he could easily have had, had a four goal game. That's for sure. As um, the Phoenix took game one of that yeah. uh, series, it's a rough, rough I would say rather convincingly, 5-2. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I found, uh, Jamie, um, that it was a situation where Sherbrooke kind of flipped the script on the Mooseheads. Something we've seen a lot this year from the Mooseheads is they just, they're not great starters. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can come out flat. They can have prolonged periods where maybe they're just, they're just not uh, in in temp uh playing that up tempo they're not really in sync yep. and they rely heavily on Mathis russo to bail them out during those yep. uh, situations until the big guns really start to click well yep. it's the exact opposite here um the sure the uh, the mooses came out firing hit the post early in in uh, like probably with second or third shift of the game in game one and it was Olivier Adam and the Sherbrooke Phoenix that had to weather the storm before they get the offense rolling. Thanks largely to Jacob Melanson. So, yeah. uh, so kind of, you know, something that the Mooseheads are, are not known for both 
the uh, both the very strong start and also not finding a way to uh, to dent the twine uh, as a result of their efforts. Yeah, and it's it's becoming a problem, obviously, um, and certainly it was an issue in game two as well. Um, and we can kind of move on to transition into that game um, again. Another really, honestly, one of the probably one of the worst first periods the Mooseheads have had all year. I think you could probably argue outshot um, seventeen to three down two nothing. Um, it looked like they were the Mooseheads from game one carried right into game two. Um, but you got to give them credit for a huge pushback um, in the final two periods. Um, and, and it honestly seemed like once Jordan Dume went down with an injury, um, you know, a switch kind of flipped uh, for a lot of their Halifax's top players and they really stepped up. Um, you know, LaRue, I thought we've, we've talked about it on the show all year. LaRue can probably be one of the best players in all of junior hockey if he, if he plays the right way. And we saw that this weekend. Um, he was excellent. Lawrence Boucher, uh, Catterford, you said all those veterans, they really stepped up. I'd love to see the ice time for that top six, honestly, because I, I bet the, mm-hmm. some of the numbers were crazy. Lawrence took over half of uh, Halifax's face-offs. Um, just a tremendous uh, showing from that top six to get them back in the game and uh, uh, to tie it up late. Uh, certainly um, not, not the ending that Halifax has wanted, for sure, and they're in a big, they're in a big hole now. Um, but you know, those final two periods certainly showed that they can compete even without Dume uh, and their captain, uh, Biasca, who was out uh, with a sickness as well. Right, right. So, uh, and that's uh, the next point to touch upon here, Jamie. Uh, you know, the injuries uh, mounting. Everybody's banged up at this time of the year. It's a well known fact, it's not just yep. cliche. But uh, Jordan Dume looks like he's gone for the seat for the series, uh, with an upper body injury sustained in game two. Attilio Biasca. Um, with uh, flu-like symptoms is what the team was saying uh, uh, going into game two. He also took a very hard hit uh, in game one. Uh, He's back in the lineup tonight, it should be noted. Uh, We're recording on a Tuesday night, as we typically do. Um, Game three of that series is underway right now in Sherbrooke. And just for posterity's sake, early in the first period, there's still no score to report. Um, shots on goal there are four nothing Sherbrooke so without actually watching the game that if that's any indication yeah it looks like uh, you know certainly uh, Sherbrooke is making the most at least in the first shifts of that game of uh, the momentum that they uh, they managed to earn uh, down here in Halifax and you know to bring uh, to bring it back to uh, Moose's valiant effort to tie that game up uh, on Alexander Doucette's goal with eight seconds remaining in regulation you know we already talked about the world junior angle and of course your waterfield puck and all the fun stuff that came with uh, with the event um, but uh, that tying goal with eight seconds left that is uh, easily the loudest I've heard that building since the overtime winner uh, at the during the gold medal game for Team Canada, but uh, now if the, if there's a team out there that can find their way uh, out of this hole and uh, and 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 on the road no less, uh, yeah. Halifax Mooses are as likely a candidate as as any. It's going to be tough, obviously. Um, you talk about the top six playing quite a bit. Well, they're going to have to dig into the reserves a little bit more now because you know obviously you've got one guy who's clearly not at hundred percent in uh, Biasca. You've got another guy who is completely out of the lineup in Dume. So it'll be uh, interesting, not only to see how the Moose has respond on the road, but 
Uh, how do the guys uh, who might be pressed into uh, into a little bit more uh, action uh, perform? And you know, there's guys and there's guys in the lineup like you know Marcus Vidacek, Matthew Cantor, um, who aren't the top stars on this team. Evan Boucher, another one, but have had big moments so far in these playoffs. They're going to have to have more big moments on the road this week. Yeah, and uh, Cameron, why not? Uh, certainly a, a missing tonight, missing uh, game three, which we're, is tonight uh, as we're recording this uh, with a sickness as well. So certainly um, a little bit of concern about the, the you know, this apparent flu bug going through the moose heads right now. Mm-hmm. And interestingly enough, uh, um, you know, shout out to Kevin Barrett and Post Media had an article this week, really the first time um, a Sea Dog has spoken about last year's playoff series loss for Mooski and how sick the team was. Um, and Josh mm-hmm. Lawrence actually talked about how sick um, St. John was uh, before one of those games. He said he didn't eat anything um, all day other than a piece of toast before the game. Um, so I'm sure there's a little bit of little bit of panic going through uh, going through his mind. Uh, some of the bad memories from that that series loss to Ramuski. Um, and Lawrence was also uh, I, you kind of wonder about his health. He was he took a real beating um, in that game too on Sunday. Took a ton of slashes um, and then. Um, took a, a, I'm not even sure, I'm not actually not even sure what hurt him in, in the overtime period, but he could hardly uh, skate off the ice uh, with both his legs and missed a bit of time. Um, and this is a big hole, big hole. And, you know, I love talking about uh, home ice advantage. Well, um, Sherbrooke combined regular season and playoffs, 33-1, 3-1 on home ice. Um, and the Mooseheads will have to win two games there um, to win this series. So that is a, that is a tall task, uh, not impossible, but uh, mm-hmm. a very tall task uh, for Halifax. Now we should point out, Jamie, that's they, they don't play on the big ice. So <laughs> that's very true. Actually, it might that ice actually might be small, uh, which is weird. I'm not even sure if that ice. That is odd, small. especially considering the renovations they did. Yes. To to bring the team back, uh, there was a one year gap between the folding of the Lewiston Maniacs and the rebirth of the Phoenix. No pun intended. Um, because the arena wasn't ready, so it'd be odd if it wasn't at least an NHL size. But uh, yeah. if you it got is, those big boards it, it, too, it's like a huge, huge yeah. jump when you uh, jump over the boards. Yeah, and hey, the, Sherbrooke has the big bodies to put over those boards too, yeah. and we'd be remiss remiss if we didn't mention, you know, this is probably the heaviest team in the league, yeah. and I don't just mean that physically; I mean that uh, I mean that in in every sense. In that they're they're just going to grind you down. You talk about Lawrence. You talk about um, the injuries that have been sustained. You know this isn't a mat. This isn't a result of of uh, necessarily uh, dirty play or even edgy play. It's just a team that will grind you down and can play it any way that 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 you wish. More often than not, they take the game in their own hands. And uh, Sherbrooke certainly did that the first two games here. Um, uh, despite you know the Moosehead's uh, effort to tie it up, Tyson Hines with the overtime winner in Game Two. Um, got your spot checks, Brabanich, um, both of whom uh, had uh, big games in Game Two. Mark Andre Gadet. You know, we keep talking about this defense in Sherbrooke, which might be the best in the country. Um, mm-hmm. They all chipped in offensively as well as uh, kept the shot totals low. Held the Mooseheads to 19 shots in Game One, so you're right. Daunting task for the Mooseheads. Um, the factors that we don't know about to their to, to what extent uh, they may be hurting in the room or what level of illness is there. You know, it's it's going to be a lot to overcome. Um, 
hopefully it turns into a bit of a series here. And ironically, yeah. during the course of our conversation, the Mooseheads have actually taken a one nothing lead uh, on a shorthanded goal by Alexander Doucette oh. um, early in the first period. So uh, we'll continue to track that series as it moves along. Game four of that series takes place Thursday night in Sherbrooke. If a game five is necessary, it'll be down here on Saturday afternoon in Halifax. Moving over to the other semifinals, the uh, Quebec Rampart and the Gatineau Olympic. Now, this has been a little more back and forth um, across the board. Um, And again, you know, a a 5-2 victory in game one, an overtime victory in game two. Quebec on the uh, positive end of both of those. The only difference, of course, uh, those two games were held at Centre Vidéotron. Uh, the series now shifts to Gatineau. So some of your thoughts, Jamie, over games one and two of the other uh, QMJHL semifinal. Well, I definitely think this has been a, a tighter series than the Sherbrooke-Halifax series where, um, you know, Halifax, I didn't think really, really played their best game in that game one. But um, um, that game one, even though it's a 5-2 final, it that Gatineau was right into the end. Justin Robita made a 4-2 just in the last couple minutes of the game. So it was really, really tight up to the end. And I was kind of watching this game in the background. Um, and then I started to watch the third period. Honestly, the third period of game one was was one of the best periods I've watched of any junior hockey game this season. Um, incredibly fast, back and forth. Uh, some huge hits. Uh, unbelievable saves on both ends. Great atmosphere. It was, it was fantastic. Um, great to see. Great game. Um, and then uh, game two, Gatineau opens the scoring, but then Quebec kind of took it over, took a 3-1 lead. Um, and then fortunately for Gatineau, they have Riley Kidney, who scored twice in the third period, but uh, uh, didn't end up uh, going in Gatineau's favor, losing overtime. Um, but again, you know, Gatineau is in this, even though they're down 2-0. They're, they're certainly, uh, uh, maybe they haven't played their, their best hockey of the year, but they're, they're in it. Um, they certainly had a shot at winning one or both of those games. So uh, uh, if I'm Gatineau, I'm, I'm, I'm confident, but obviously game three uh, is pretty much essentially your season's on the line. Yeah. And I cast some uh, Gadette with the overtime winner in game two of that series up in Quebec. And you're right, um, Jamie, it, it, this really is, I mean, game, you know, you always hear how important the third game of any best of seven is. And, you know, it's, it's, it, the same holds true really for both of these series. Um, but uh, for Gatineau, they get to go home. Uh, the uh, uh, I saw a, a, a neat headline on Twitter here uh, uh, leading up to this game uh, asking if the ghosts of the Bob, the old uh, Robert Gertin Arena, have uh, transferred to the Slush Puppy Center. I mean, personally, yeah, got to bring him back. Absolutely. I, I certainly, uh, you know, you, you got to wonder if uh, that's the case. Um Although that being said, you know, and uh, I probably will catch some flack for this, but uh, yeah, you know, if I'm uh, if I'm a venerated ghost and well known for my presence, uh, come playoff time, I don't know if, how quickly I'd uh, be willing to move into a facility named the Slush Puppy Center. But hey, that's uh, that's the business of the sport, and uh, what you know, it is what it is. But uh, make no mistake about it, uh, uh, the Slush Puppy Center. Uh, despite the name, has become uh, a very difficult burn to play in uh, for uh, members of the opposition. And for as good as the Quebec Rampire is, I'm expecting it to be no different from, for them. Um, you mentioned it last episode, these two teams just had not played each other 
at all, really, um, over the closing weeks of the season. So uh, to, to have them duke it out uh, in a seven-game season where you know a lot about the opponent, but, you know, head-to-head, there's, there's not as much to go on. Um, makes things rather interesting. So uh, uh, game three is underway right now. Um, it is still scoreless uh, midway through the first period in, uh, in Gatineau. Shots are 8-7 in favor of the Olympic. And, uh, of course, what would be uh, a, a deep romper playoff run without a little bit of posturing from our old pal Patrick uh, who uh, came out made uh, a couple of comments in the media um, and uh, Louis Robitaille uh, his counterpart behind the uh, Gatineau bench and friend of the show um, not having any of it that's just basically saying that's just my friend Patrick you know doing what he always does and and um, one thing that uh, did come out of it, though, that uh, both men agreed on, and uh, I tend to agree with them as well. For as tight as those games were, as good as they were, I don't think we've seen the best of the Olympic in this series yet, no. at least no. not on a consistent basis. No, no, I agree. You know, they were, they were in those games, but again, like, I don't think they played their best games, and um, I, I, I expect that they're probably going to play their best game of the year in this game three um and hope and they're gonna hope to get back in the series and i i also hope they get back in the series because like we're, we're really hyped up these uh these semifinals we everyone's really fired up <laughs> everyone was fired up and so far it's been a been a bit of a downer so hopefully uh hopefully these uh the the teams that are down kind of get back into it for entertainment sake yeah definitely after all the hype of saying hey you know this is the end of the quick series and blah 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 you know if we end up getting a sweep or a five gamer out of this uh going to look kind of foolish and i mean nobody wants that I mean, no nobody people does rely definitely. on us for you yes know, such expertise you know, first yeah i suppose we got to look like fools at least once a season maybe this is going to be it uh game three as mentioned already underway in gatineau game four goes on wednesday night so a back-to-back situation there before uh, uh any potential game five returns back to uh, quebec city on the weekend. So uh, Quebec is 10 and 0 in the playoffs. Sherbrooke is 10 and 0 in the playoffs. Jamie, that's a lot of winning, but they're not the only teams that have won uh, over the p- course of the past week. Uh, the other team that has won is one of the most recent teams to lose in the playoffs anyway. And that's the Moncton Wildcats, the uh, QMJHL draft lottery was held last Wednesday uh, the ping pong balls fell in favor of the Moncton Wildcats, who owned the Valdor Forer's first round selection, which would have uh, gi- which would have g- given them the second highest odds of uh, taking home first overall pick. Their ball dropped down the chute first. They will pick first overall this summer. So, uh, uh, before we go any further. Uh, uh, we have some viewer mail. Connor from Toronto writes in and says, uh, once a season, try an episode. Don't respond to this, LOL. Um, thanks for uh, writing in, Connor. And by the way, if anybody else has any other feedback, you can reach out to us at uh, Twitter, at Will McWriter, or at Station underscore Nation. Or if, you, or if you're Connor, you can just continue to chirp us in the comments. Um, 
Con, uh, by the way, Connor is just upset because we're really stretching this out longer than he'd wish because for the first time uh, since he has been conscious of life, uh, his NHL team is in the second round of the playoffs. And, you know, we Crying. would be remiss, Jamie. Yes. <laughs> yes. Day one Seattle Kraken <laughs> fan. Yes. And of course, Jamie, we'd be remiss as a Canadian-based sporting entity if we didn't at least devote a few seconds of time to the Toronto Maple Leafs right now. So, oh, of course. There you go. Obligatory plug filled. <laughs> so anyway, Wildcats, first overall pick. Jamie, thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> well, hot take. Uh, it's good news for the Wildcats. I know that'll come as a surprise to a lot of people to hear that. Uh, but especially good news for Wildcats given this draft, I think, because it, it definitely looks like a forward is going to go first overall and Caleb Denoyer. Mm -hmm. um, right. And we all know that Moncton needs scoring. Um, obviously not the expectation won't be for a 16-year-old to come in and immediately light it up, but um, certainly he could be a key piece uh, for this Moncton offense, assuming they're aiming to go for it in 2025 and in hopes of hosting the Memorial Cup. Uh, Certainly interesting that uh, the Wildcats previously drafted his brother Elliot Denoye. Uh, so mm -hmm. I'm I'm assuming Caleb is quite familiar with uh, with the city and the organization. So certainly uh, some familiarity there. And uh, Moncton also has two late first round picks too. So there's some some options there either to uh, take some home run swings at maybe some NCAA guys late in the first round or package those up and move up. Or, uh, so lo lots of options later on as well. Um, so. Definitely looks like an exciting draft for the Wildcats and their fans. So it'll be uh, it'll be fun to uh, to watch that Sherbrooke. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I think we'd probably be shocked at this point, uh, Jamie, if the announcement isn't made in the coming months that the Wildcats are in the hunt to host the 2025 Memorial Cup. Um, do I think personally they'll get it? I think they're behind the eight ball uh, just because of the fact that it's been in the Maritimes the past two times the Q's mm -hmm. hosted. Um, but that won't stop uh, Robert Irving and his organization from at least making the attempt and keeping their name out there. And, uh, you know, if, if they manage to, uh, uh, to host the event, assuming that they do in fact uh, put their name in, the, in the, their hat in the ring, I should say, uh, obviously Caleb Denoy at that point be a 17 year old, Highly, he'd be uh, touted for the 2025 NHL draft, and he would be a centerpiece, as you would expect any 17-year-old first overall pick to be, um, assuming that they picked Inouye. But I mean, you know, it seems it seems to be the right fit uh, for sure. You know, they've got their pillar on defense in um, uh, Etienne Morin. Um, they're set in net next year with Jacob Steinman, and theoretically, you know, Steinman coming back as a 20 is certainly on the table you'd like to think. Um, so having having another key piece up front, you know, to to play alongside the, the guys like Yoan Loshing and and some of the other younger talent that they have coming up through the ranks, it's gonna be key. Uh, the team had to grind for goals all season long to have somebody there that's a bit more of a of a swing man would would uh, play a big factor in the few in the uh, hope in the uh, fortunes of the Moncton Wildcats. Uh, the rest of the top five goes Shakutami, Blainville, Valdor, and Ramuski, by the way. Um, but 
uh, you know, any other additional thoughts? Uh, look like you're about to jump in there before I cut you yeah. off, Jamie. <laughs> well, I like you have uh, Moncton in the top five, you have Ramuski in the top five, and I, you know, you, you look at uh, the CHL awarding the 2024 Memorial Cup to, to Michael Misa in the Saginaw Spirit, and it's it's obvious the CHL wants its stars uh, put in the spotlight. So I'm, I'm just curious, like, I wonder mm-hmm. how the, how some of those teams that are thinking about bidding, you know, I mentioned maybe the Wildcats or another team might look at some home run swings and really try and get some of these borderline guys to help to come in um, and get them to commit to junior hockey uh, with hopes of hosting Memorial Cup. Uh, and I think the CHL likes that. I think the CHL wants to put uh, these loaded teams with the best players in the spotlight. So I definitely think having um, high-end players is going to help um, teams moving forward uh, if they want to host. Yeah, definitely. I, I think that's a fair assessment. Um, it's also part of the reason, quite frankly, you've seen the OHL and Q sort of dominate the Memorial Cup over the past 10 years uh, because you know loading up in the WHL isn't quite the same, just the structure of things, uh, the fact that they're drafting 14-year-olds as opposed to 15-year-olds. Just uh, There's a lot of things that are kind of working against the w- WHL more often than not. Um, and you know, the, the, you're, you're not quite getting usually the power team, you know, the powerhouse teams that you'd get, uh, Ontario East. Now I will say this much, you know, it doesn't apply quite as much this year when you see teams like the Seattle Thunderbirds you know, basically looking like, uh, absolute dynamos. Um, but overall, you know, it, I, I agree. It's, it's a situation where the CHL wants to showcase their best and, if the best is going to be in a certain area at a certain time, then of course that should play a factor. It's only good for the league and it's good for the uh, CHL uh, in general. So um, Moncton, just for information purposes, this will be the fourth time that they have drafted first overall um, following Pierre Dagenet in 1995 with the uh, Moncton cover year years, Robert Irving, Alpines, uh, 2001 with Steve Bernier and 2008 with Brandon Gormley. All three went on to be their first-round NHL picks or have uh, some measure of success in the NHL or both. And as one of three picks of the Wildcats owned in the first round, along with the 13th and 18th picks. Uh, those picks were originally 12th and 16th overall, adjusted for compensation picks that were announced by the league the night of the draft. So, NHL team profile time. Jamie? Um. I think before we talk about this team, we should tell everybody listening, there is a methodology as to what teams we profile on any given week. Um, and we rotate between the three CHL podcasts. Uh, we were given instructions to pick, uh, we were given instructions that we were supposed to follow the divisions in a certain way. And we were supposed to do each division in alphabetical order, which is why we've been talking about, uh, I believe it's the central division uh, ad nauseum for the last two months. So the last uh, division we get to talk to talk about, Jamie, is the Atlantic. And alphabetically speaking, the first team in the Atlantic division is the uh, Boston Bruins. So that being said, don't anybody get upset that we're talking about the Bruins. Oh, in fact, you should lie. be thankful. When- it's all right. lie. It's all lie. It's ranked on the sat. It's ranked on the satometer. Like we, we the, the saddest, the saddest fans are uh, are the team in the week. If that was the case, we would be profiling the Arizona Coyotes. <laughs> so, no, uh, and be thankful we're not talking more about the Leafs, folks. 
So the Bruins, um, before we talk about the prospects, what do you, what is your take on what happened? I think we got to deviate a little bit. You're going to have a little bit of NHL talk. What are your thoughts about what uh, went down against the Panthers in round one? Oh, I was, I was shocked. I was shocked. And I, I'm a, I'm a huge, huge hater of Boston sports. Uh, I know Willie won't like to hear that. Go Red but, Sox. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, there's no, there's no franchise. I dislike more than the Boston Red Sox. Um, in all sports, again, we'll, we'll you know, cover your cover your cover your ears. That's quite all right. Uh, I have my four World Series exactly. rings. Exactly, and that's that's yeah. classic Red Sox fan. Uh. <laughs> Thank you. Post post two thousand four Red Sox fan. Okay, okay, that's fair. Yes. Um, yeah, like uh, I was, and like I have no, I have no sympathy for Boston sports fans. They've they've won enough. They've seen it all. Yeah, yada yada yada. But I do have. I really I, hope this generates some viewer mail. Oh my god, please <laughs> generate some listener but, mail. But I I. Definitely, I definitely feel bad for this core of Bruins because I, I like this core of Bruins, um, and I think a lot of people do. Um, and if they had won the Stanley Cup, like that would have been fine with me. And I think a lot of people were kind of that same way. Um, and to see them lose in seven games, in the, it's not even that they lost in seven games; kind of just the way they lost in seven games. To mm-hmm. they looked so dominant at times, and then just, it kind of just fell apart. Um, and you know, blown leads. That's just not something that you've seen. Um, such a, an experienced team like the Bruins do. It was uh, it was very very strange. Um, and even though they were injured, um, you know, their lineup I I still think is probably on paper anyway better than the Panthers. So it was definitely uh, definitely shocking uh, to see. Yeah. Um, again, myself not a Bruins fan. Um, I mean, my my opinion towards NHL teams in general is much more muted you know in my younger days i would certainly identify as a montreal fan and now my standard line is i think i still like montreal but i don't think they like me so uh, i uh, yeah maybe <laughs> depending on how the lottery goes next week uh, but um you know that aside you know this is not an unlikable version of the bruins i agree yeah. um i will always have a soft spot for brad marchand uh-huh. uh, which is not something you hear every day um but at the end of the day he is a guy who i watched come up through the ranks in moncton um and a guy who we're going to talk about briefly here of course uh but um you know all the way up and down the line if there's really not a, an unlikable player per se um some of them are grittier and a little bit more tenacious than others but you'd love to have any one of them on your team i think highly of jim montgomery and the uh struggles that he's had to overcome mm-hmm. really the only the only person that i was laughing for when the panthers won game seven in overtime was jack edwards uh, who is <laughs> to my mind the most embarrassing entity in sports casting today and for the last several years and i'd like to think that if we get any response out of that comment it's only going to be an agreement um because there is no debate on this um but other than him, it's like, wow, that kind of sucked. Like, you know, 65 wins in the regular season and to, to have that happen the way it did. And, you know, leave it to the Bruins to, to, to make Matthew Kachuk look like the good guy here and, yeah. and playing the hero's role. But uh, that's another story for another time. Um, but, uh, you know, as mentioned, you know, the most successful team, uh, single season, regular, or the regular season most successful regular season, I should say, in NHL history. They did it with a lot of Q guys. There's one guy in the Q currently drafted by the Bruins. That's Frederick Brunet. Of course, went from Ramuski to Victoriaville at the trade deadline. 
uh, and a real big body presence on the blue line for the table. Yeah, 6'2", 185. He's uh, put up, you know, for a big guy, too. He's put up some pretty excellent numbers. I think he's averaged about a point per game the past couple of years or better. Um, so really good defenseman. Um, and also uh, played one game with Providence after the season, too. So um, mm-hmm. I th- he's a 20-year-old next year, I believe. I don't know if he'll be back or not next year. Uh, we'll see. Uh, could be maybe one of those borderline guys, fifth-round pick. Um, so we'll see what happens there. Yeah, yeah, and drafted in 2022. So uh, you know, it was the second time through the uh, through the draft process. So you know, there is that extra year before um, you know anything particularly kicks in. He signed, but uh, at the end of the day, you know, you never know what what the options are, and you know, it could all come down to what kind of training camp uh, Frederick has. Uh, uh, anyway, uh, in the AHL, the Providence Bruins, Samuel Aslan, Alex Olivier Voye. And Thomas Caron or your uh, Q contingent there, of course, Aslan, who won a Memorial Cup in Bathurst, went to a Memorial Cup final in Halifax, where he faced off against a guy who was his teammate for much of the year in uh, Providence and then ended up uh, on the big squad, uh, even got into a couple playoff games, Jacob Lauko, uh, who won it all with Rand in 2019 um, and one of seven uh, QMJHLers. Uh, who appeared in the Bruins lineup this year. We already talked briefly about, about Marchand. Uh, Patrice Bergeron, A.J. Greer, David Krejci, uh, Jakob Zaboral, and Charlie Coyle, the latter two, of course, said, Jamie, you were very familiar with. So what strikes me about that list, Jamie, it's not just the fact that there's a great Q contingent in there. There's a, a championship-level Q contingent from top, Almost to bottom, the only guy out of the, that entire uh, roster of players who did not win a President Cup uh, or a Memorial Cup was, of course, Krejci and uh, Patrice Bergeron. And Bergeron more than made up for it once you get to the NHL. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It definitely seems like the Bruins kind of have a type, right? Like it, you know, big, mm-hmm. big bodies who can play physical, who know how or have experience winning, right? Um, yeah. And you know, you hear all the time about this culture the Bruins have, um, and how they kind of carry that through, even even when you know guys like Bergeron and Marchand are out of the lineup. Um, you kind of understand why when you look at their drafting. Um, you know, a lot of these guys have pretty similar characteristics, so it's it's not really surprising that. Um, um, you know, the, the character in that dressing room kind of con- is consistently the same year over year. Yeah. And that character obviously defined by Patrice Bergeron. And you know what, uh, you know, whether you love the Bruins, you hate the Bruins or somewhere in the middle, like if you can't appreciate a guy like Patrice Bergeron, if you can't root for a guy like Patrice Bergeron. It's just like, what are you even doing here? Like he is, you know, he is the guy who is probably your favorite player's favorite player. That's yep. the kind of guy that he is. Um, that, you know, he's 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 been a rock. He's been a role model. And if what and if Sunday was his last game, first of all, it's incredibly sad that it had to end that way. But also, he leaves the NHL with nothing else to prove. And yep. the next time we'll see him on the ice at TD Garden, he'll be getting his number thirty-seven race to the rafters. And sometime in the midst of all that, too, we'll also see him take the stage in Toronto for the Hockey Hall of Fame induction. And, yep. you know, what more could you ask for? 
Yeah. I always love it too. when when media ask current junior players who their favorite player is or who they model their game after. And <laughs> I would like, I, like saying Patrice Bergeron, that's like such a solid pick. Like the, like, that, like you're, that's always, that's such a good answer. Like no matter what type of player you are. Yeah, exactly. It's sort of like players of a previous generation who used to always name Steve Eisenman. It's yeah. like right in the same wheelhouse. In fact, you know, you had a little bit of show and tell Jamie, I should do a little bit of show and tell next week. Just partly to to prove that point, but also partly to maybe show how old I am, but also catch up something of some historical significance. But I still have kicking around here somewhere a a Moncton Wildcats program from their first season in the league back in 1996. And some of the players that were that people like they're obviously none of them are playing anymore. Um, Many of them are in the Hall of Fame and many of them are like, in the Hall of Fame for a decade or more. So uh, just to show how the, how the times have changed a little bit, but you know, that favorite player, you know, some sometimes the characteristics, they remain the same. Uh, 2023 draft prospect of the week. So we are going to head to the former junior home of Patrice Bergeron, Acadie Bathurst Teton. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Joseph Henneberry, left winger. Uh, drafted back in 2020, but th- this is his first year that he's eligible for the draft since he was a late 2004 birthday. And for a team that really sold off fairly significantly or as, as, well, as much as they could throughout the course of last season, um, Jamie, um, Joe Hanneberry definitely uh, turned some, some heads uh, with, you know, with leading this team offensively. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, pretty good value for Bathurst, a, a sixth-round pick in 2020. So that's a, a solid mm-hmm. find for them. Um, and from what I could tell, maybe I'm wrong and missing something here, but I don't think he played at all in the COVID season, uh, which was his draft year. So uh, you know, that might have been a big, that might have been a, an issue with where he got drafted, and could maybe be a, a late bloomer um, into into the kind of coming into this. So um, had a pretty good rookie year with the Teton. Uh, 29 points in 68 games um, with a very good Bathurst team and then bettered that production this year with a a pretty bad Bathurst team. So um, certainly promising, certainly promising for the future. Uh, A big guy, 6'2", 183, uh, kind of considers himself that power forward, but we've seen him have some skill too. So um, this is a guy who I think could could be a very good uh, Q player over the next couple of years. Yeah, and also um, Scholastic Player of the Month a couple of times in the queue. Uh, it's suspended twice though this year for a total of eight games, three for a high stick, uh, five games actually for uh, violating the league's anti-discriminatory policies. So uh, not 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 very cool on the uh, part of Mr. Hanabury, uh, but uh, nonetheless uh, very talented and a big part of the uh, the uh, Titans' future uh, as they build things back up on the North Shore of New Brunswick. Uh, currently ranked 119th the final NHL CSR listings. So Jamie, that brings us to the end of another episode. And uh, I just want to finish here by appeasing Connor Somerville, Somerville for as much as he chirps us and, you know, whatever, whatever. I want to hear this from you. We know where Connor Somerville was the last time the Leafs won a playoff round. He was in a high chair. He was in a crib. He was whatever. He was drooling all over himself. I mean, he's probably still drooling over himself now, but I mean, he, he didn't have the motor skills to stop it back then. You, where were you the last time the Toronto Maple Leafs won a playoff round? 
I was in grade, grade six or seven. Grade six, I think, because I think grade seven was the lockout year. Yeah, because it was the year after was the lockout year, right? Yes. Yeah. 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 So, so it was grade. Five yep. Grade six. Grade six, and I remember it because we had like a, we had like a playoff pool going in our class. Nice. So I, was, I was really into it. Ed Belfour, yeah. man. Ed Belfour, Eddie Belfour, exactly. Talk about guys who've been in the Hall of Fame forever now. There's another guy too, and uh, I was uh, I was engaged to be married. I've oh. now been married for almost 18 years. Um, we were still living in New Brunswick, of course. We were about five months away from buying our first house, which we ended up living in for 12 years before moving down here seven years ago. Um, and uh, I remember it distinctly as well. Wasn't watching it on, uh, on my t- my tube TV in uh, the in the base in in my base. Funny years going. Funny years. Yeah, it was a little bit snowy. You know, it's hear, hard to hear Foster Hewitt sometimes, but he did come through a little bit. But uh, watching in my basement apartment on Second Avenue, Moncton, Brunswick, as uh, as the Leafs, uh, you know, once again defeated Patrick Lilliam and the Ottawa Senators in round one. So, uh, you know, and congrats to the Leafs. You know, uh, I, I've been saying, you know, just win a round, get it over with. And uh, sure enough, they uh, they ended up doing so. And I'm going to see how long I can stretch this so Connor can miss more of the game. Uh, let's see. It's been exactly 45 minutes according to my time. So, okay, I feel that's enough. Um, all right, folks. So uh, once again, if you uh, want to write in, have your say, feel free at Will McWriter at Station Underscore Nation. We always love hearing from our listeners Uh, And until next week, we will bid you adieu uh, for THN on the queue, brought to you by MGM. He's Jamie Tozer. I'm Will McLaren. See you next week.